The text for this afternoon's sermon is from Genesis 12, the verses 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. After the sermon, we will respond by singing from Psalm 33, stanzas 3 and 6. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, when we think of Abraham, we think of a great man, don't we? He became famous during his own lifetime, and he still is. Whereas the names of politicians are forgotten over time, the name of Abraham, even though he lived some 4,000 years ago, is still well known all over the world. More people have heard of Abraham than they have heard of any president of the United States or of any head of state or of any movie star or any athlete. The three predominant religions of today, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, all trace their origin to Abraham. There are millions upon millions in Asia, Africa, Europe, and United States, and North America who know who Abraham is. And so Abraham is a very famous person. The question is, why is that? Or more important, what does that mean? What is Abraham's real significance, not only for us, but for the people all over the world? And why of all people did God choose Abraham to be the father of many nations? What was so special about him? Why did God make his promises to him? And of what benefit is that to us and our children? That's what I want to preach to you about this afternoon. The theme is as follows. The Lord God proclaims his wonderful promises to Abraham and his seed. And he does that in the first place by setting him apart, in the second place by blessing him, and and in the third place by making him a blessing. We read in the text that the Lord God comes with his word to one of the sons of Terah, to Abraham, and says to him, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. It appears that Abraham received that message while he was in Haran. But he actually received that call already while he was still in Ur. And so Abraham did not right away leave for the land of Canaan, but together with his father Terah and the rest of his family, first settled in Haran, which is some 600 miles, close to 1,000 kilometers from Ur. And it is from that place that he later left to the place that God would show him. When Abram left Ur, he first had to leave all his friends and fellow countrymen behind. 
but his family could go with him to Haran. And that's where he stayed until the death of his father, Terah. Then the Lord God speaks to him again. He tells him now that he must leave everything behind. He has to leave behind his father's household, all his relatives, and everything that he had built up there. He has to go to a land that the Lord God would show him. He didn't know where he was going or why. He had to act in faith and trust that the Lord God had his best interest in mind. Now, why did the Lord tell Abraham to do that? Well, you know what the Lord God was doing, don't you? And what he was doing throughout the, old, throughout the whole Old Testament. He was paving the way for the Savior of the world, for the Messiah, the Redeemer, to be born. God wants to maintain a people for himself so that that Savior could be born. He promised his coming already at the time that Adam and Eve fell into sin. When he told them that the serpent, that is Satan, would be destroyed. And that would happen through the seed of the woman. Through her offspring, he would defeat Satan. When God promises something, then he doesn't go back on his word. God doesn't change his mind. And then he doesn't leave it up to others to accomplish that either. He doesn't leave it up to chance, and certainly he doesn't leave it up to people. No, then he is the one who makes it happen. Can you imagine if he left it up to men, people such as you and I? We're weak, we're sinful. We are human beings who seek to gratify the flesh. We seek to serve ourselves. By nature, we do not seek after God. And that's clear from the history of mankind. Why do you think the flood came? And except for Noah and his family, all of mankind was wiped from the earth because of man's sinfulness. And after the flood, it wasn't any much different Man once again only served himself. They built the Tower of Babel to attest to their greatness without putting God into the picture. They no longer worshiped the God of creation, the only true God. And that's what happened in Ur and in Iran as well. Abraham and his family were in danger of being swallowed up by the world of that day. For the people around them had once again started to worship other gods. Even Abraham's family did. How do we know this? Well, we know this from Joshua 24, verse 2, where it says, Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, long ago your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. And so God does not leave it up to man to realize his salvation. But now the question still is, why did God speak to Abraham? Why did he not speak to some other God-fearing man, such as Job, for example, who likely lived at the same time? Well, don't think that this was so because Abraham was such a great man. It was not so that the Lord God saw some redeeming quality in him, which made him choose him. 
He did not begin by looking at Abraham and say, now, there's a good man, a man after my own heart. Let me pick him. That's not how God chooses his people, including you and me. No, for what does the text say? It says, I, that's the Lord God, I will make your name great. God will do this. The problem at the time of the building of the Tower of Babel was that they wanted to make their own name great. That's what it says in Genesis 11, verse 4. People said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. God only can make your name great. But isn't that what we're all about? Isn't that what motivates us much of the time as well? We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to acquire wealth and build a successful business or get a good job or a great education so that people will look up to us and say, well, isn't that a great man? Or isn't that a wonderful woman? Look at what he or she has accomplished. And look at the wonderful family that he or she has. Aren't they great? Do you know what the reality is, brothers and sisters? Only God can make you great. Abraham became great, but only because he believed God. He trusted that God would take care of him, even though he sent him to a foreign place. Yet, we never have anything to boast before God, not even about our faith. Also Abraham, for you see, what is faith? Well, faith is a gift from God, which you have to embrace. And that's what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 8. He says there, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. And so you see, it's all God's doing. But that begs a question, maybe many questions. If it's all God's doing, why does he choose to bless some nations and curse others? For that's what it says in the text of Genesis 12. What does God have against those nations that he curses? And why will he destroy them? Well, the fact of the matter is that God is indiscriminate. God has against those cursed nations what he has against all nations, including Israel. Namely, that they sinned against him. And for that reason, they all deserve to be destroyed. That's also the way it is today. It's not any different. All of mankind, including all believers here on earth, including me and you, we all deserve to die. It's only because of God's grace that this does not happen. For what is the case? Well, as God has done throughout the ages, he continues to maintain a people here on earth to serve him. For he wants there to be a people on earth to glorify his name. And that is why he created in the first place. It's all for his glory. 
And so throughout the ages, he sets a certain people apart to serve him and to bring glory to his name. And so it's all about him. And it is not about you or me or about our offspring as such. But then the question still is, how does God choose? Well, if you think that God chooses us because of our good works, then you're mistaken. I know that's what a lot of people think, also Christians. They think that God chose Abraham and thereby also his offspring because of obedience, because they're such good people. That's not true. That's not how God works. It's not that he loves one person or one nation more than another because of their good works. It is not so either that you have to belong to a certain people in order to be saved. That's also the way it was throughout the Old Testament. Think of Ruth the Moabitess or Rachel the prostitute from Jericho. These were foreign women, sinful women. And yet it is even through these women that the Messiah, the Christ, is born. It mentioned in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus. It is not so either that you have to be Canadian reformed in order to be saved. No, God chooses his people out of many other Christian churches as well. And it may even be that some don't even belong to a church and yet are saved. Think about the murder on the cross. What then is going on? Well, as I said, God preserves a people here on earth to glorify him and to serve him and to worship him. And that is why he chose a special nation such as Israel. And he does that today as well. God makes his promises to Abraham and his seed. But who is Abraham? Well, as we read from Galatians 3 verse 7, he is the father of all believers. Only those who believe are children of Abraham. And so if you believe, then those promises given to Abraham also apply to you and to me. And it applies to Gabriel Slump in front of us here as well. He is a child of believing parents. They belong to God's people. Not because the parents, or the grandparents for that matter, are such good people, but because of their faith. The faith that God has given them. We have nothing to boast about. What a blessing to see God at work in this way. But although ultimately it is God who is in control and who does the choosing, you and I do have a role to play, important one. You must also want to be part of God's people. Why? Well, so that together with your brothers and sisters in the Lord, you can be protected from the evil one. You have to listen to him. And you need your brothers and sisters in the Lord to encourage you and to help you and to warn you when you're going astray. You need to be within the confines of a safe place. And that's what the church is for. You cannot survive if you belong to the world. 
There are way too many things there to distract you. That's why God puts you within the church. Let me make that clear with an example. If you want to grow a special plant, then you do not just randomly plant a seed somewhere in your garden. You don't then throw them among the rocks or among the weeds or even among other plants. For then the chance of its survival will not be very great. All kinds of people or animals can come into your garden and trample it or do other damage to it. Anything can happen to it. No, instead, if you want to have success, you plant that seed, that plant in a special plate, preferably behind glass, if it's a tender plant, in a greenhouse perhaps. And there you can tend the plant and care for it. You can remove the weeds and water it and feed it. And there, others do not have access to it. They can't harm your plant. You see, that is what God did with Abraham as well, and with Israel, and with his church. And so that's what he does with you and me as well. He sets us apart from the world, even though we live in this world, even though we make our living in it and interact with it. And God chooses us. Why does he do that? Why does he choose us? Well, he chooses us so that we may bear fruit, fruit in abundance, fruit for him in the first place, and also fruit for each other. And that is why God blesses Abraham. That's what the text says. Because he wants him to bear fruit. We come to the second point. The Lord God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. What does it mean that the Lord God will bless him? Well, the essence of what a blessing is can be found in Isaiah 65 verse 8 which speaks about the blessing of the vine. It says there, now I use the ESV as a translation, thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in a cluster and they say do not destroy it for there is a blessing in it so I will do for my servants sake and not destroy them all so what is the blessing of the vine the blessing refers here to the sweet juice of the grape from which wine is made the purpose of the vine is to bring forth good sweet juice if that happens, then the blessing is fulfilled. For then the vine has served its purpose. And in this way, God also blesses his creation in the very beginning. Think of the first blessing that God pronounced at that time. In Genesis 1 verse 22, the Lord said about the animals which he had just created, that God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. He says something similar to the man and the woman just after he created them. It says in Genesis 1 verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. What is the first purpose of the blessing then? It's to bring forth fruit. 
It is to bear offspring so that the human race can spread out all over the world and serve the Lord wherever they are so that they can glorify his great name. If that happens, then a desired result is seen. Purpose is fulfilled. That's how God blessed the creation before the fall into sin. What happened after that? God's curse came. The curse that man brought upon himself when he rebelled against God. That great blessing that he pronounced upon all of creation was now removed. All creation came under a curse. It was only because of God's mercy that he did not wipe everything out all, all, everything out all at once. No, God stayed his wrath. He waited with it. He wanted that curse to be removed through his son, through the seed of the woman. And so after the fall into sin, mankind needed an even greater blessing because of the curse that lay upon this creation. They needed to have life restored, not just physical life, but eternal life, life with God. The curse had to be removed. And the great thing is that God promised that that would happen. And that's therefore also the hope that Adam and Eve hung on to, as did every believer ever since, including Abraham. And now listen to what God says to Abraham. These are wonderful words. He renews his promise. He comes with his great blessing. The words which he speaks are most wonderful indeed. After all these many years, the Lord God speaks again. And he says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And there you have it, brothers and sisters. The curse is about to be removed for all those who are blessed through Abraham. But now, what is Abraham to think at this moment when God speaks these words to him? That the Lord chose him to remove the curse? Of course not. Abraham knew that he was a weak and sinful man. He knew that he was not any better than anyone who came before him. He knew that the curse pronounced upon Adam and Eve, that that curse also rested on him. And so he also knew that these words did not apply directly to him. These words of blessing. To whom then would they apply? Well, Abraham knew these words applied to the anointed one of God, to Christ himself. You may say, is that not too far-fetched? Is that not reading too much into the text? Would Abraham have understood that then already? Well, listen to the words that the Lord Jesus himself spoke in John 8, verse 56. He says there, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham rejoiced to see the day of Christ. Abraham, Abraham's vision was so much greater than we might expect. Abraham saw with the eyes of faith. 
was sure he did not fully grasp how all this would happen. It would be another 2,000 years before the Messiah would be born, and a lot would have to happen in the meantime. The Levitical priesthood and the kingship would have to be established, and the prophets would still have to come to prepare the people for the coming of Christ. And indeed, as the New Testament age begins to dawn, a lot of things become clearer. But nevertheless, Abraham knew that the blessing to him was not directly meant for him, but for the Christ, the anointed one. And that is why Paul also says in Galatians 3, looking back to this passage in Genesis 12, that it refers to the singular. Remember what we read? He said in verse 16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. To make sure that Abraham understood what this meant, later on, God confirmed these promises in Genesis 17, where the Lord God makes a covenant with him and elaborates on these words of our text. And then to confirm his covenant further, he also signs and seals the covenant in the circumcision. Now, do you know what that word covenant means? Originally, it means to eat with. And so this suggests fellowship and agreement. It also meant to bind and to fetter. And so commitment is implied. It also denoted to a lot, which suggests sharing. When God makes a promise, he signs and seals it in the covenant. In this way, he commits himself to what he promises, that he is with us in his kingdom, and that we may share with everything that God has promised us. It is an act of grace. Abraham understood that. He understood the promises of God. He also understood that the land that the Lord God promised to him at that time was more than just a plot of ground on the earth. He understood, as we know from Hebrews 11, that ultimately the promise of the land referred to a heavenly home. It meant that the Lord God would prepare a place for him not just here on earth, but in heaven. For he desired a better country that is a heavenly one. As it says in Hebrews 11, we come to the third point. But the Lord God did not just bless Abraham. He also said to him that all the nations would be blessed in him. What exactly does that mean? Well, as I said earlier, when we think of the promise to Abraham, we are under the impression that from here on in, the Lord God restricts his promises to a select people. That he restricts it to the offspring of Abraham, which eventually is the nation Israel. However, the exact opposite is true. He chooses Abraham and Isaac and Jacob precisely because he wants all nations to share in the blessings of the Redeemer, of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Pentecost could not have happened without Abraham. That's also what Paul says in Galatians 3 verse 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. 
Pentecost heralds the coming and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on all kinds of people from all over the world. All the families of the earth are included. And what is true in the Old Testament is true especially in the New. God wants to redeem all mankind. That's the blessing of Abraham. But he also says something else in the passage. It's also the mention of the curse. It says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. What does the curse refer to? Why does it have to be in there? Well, it refers to the destruction of those who do not believe. It refers to God's wrath visited upon those who are of the seed of the serpent. It refers to those who want to do their own thing and who don't want to take God into account and who don't want to humble themselves before him and ask him for the forgiveness of their sins who live as if he doesn't exist. Nations may boast of the physical descent of Abraham as do the Arabs and as do the Jews. They may take Abraham's name upon their lips as if he is their savior but their boasting is in the flesh. Abraham may be famous because they fear him for the great father of a multitude that he was, but if they do not believe in God as he revealed himself in the scriptures, the curse rests on them. Such people are not truly children of Abraham because they're not children of faith. Their boasting of Abraham does them no good. But for those who do believe, the curse of God because of sin was visited upon God's own son who is also the son of Abraham the Lord Jesus Christ and that's what it says in Galatians 3 verse 13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree without him we would all be dead Through faith in him, you're not. Through faith in him, you have God's wonderful promises proclaimed to you. What a wonderful message, isn't it? What a wonderful blessing. Not only for Abraham, but for us as well. But you must believe those promises. And so let me ask you, do you you believe? Or do you come to this church because it's expected of you? Do you think that you are a child of Abraham because your family and your friends belong here? Because you think that just belonging to this church, you can be saved? Brothers and sisters, membership in this church doesn't save you. Your parents or your minister or your elder cannot save you either. You must believe. You must have an act of faith. And that is why you should want to worship here where your faith is strengthened and stimulated. Every first day of the week, the church does not save. Belonging to Israel did not save all the Jews either. Many Israelites became children of the devil even though they were physical children of Abraham. Brothers and sisters, God kept his promises throughout the ages. And the ultimate promise that he made is still coming. Did you know that? 
Do you know what the final fulfillment of his promise to Abraham is? Well, it is the promise that he will, that which will be realized at the end of this age. He promised that his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, will come again to judge the living and the dead. On that final day, there will be the final separation between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And then all the believers will receive God's blessings in full. It's for those who now already desire a better country, a heavenly one. And so, yes, Abraham was a great man. But so is everyone who belongs to his seed, his spiritual seed. God makes him and all of us who believe great. He makes you and me great. At the end of this age, you will know how great that blessing is. For then you will see him in all his glory. May the Lord preserve us for that day. Amen.